This is the third podcast in the series A History of the 18th Century in Ten Poems, part of the Digital Miscellanies Index Project at the University of Oxford. I'm Lizzie Atkinson, and I recently revised the index for the new edition of Jonathan Swift's Journal to Stella. Over the course of two podcasts, I will be discussing poems about smallpox and petticoats, two disparate yet common themes which show the wide range of subject matter in 18th century miscellanies, and tell us something about 18th century preoccupations. Why you could open a miscellany to find a poem such as On a Young Lady's Having the Smallpox, followed later by A Pangeric on the Late but the Most Admirable Invention of the Hoop Petticoat, is something I will be exploring. For further reading on the vast array of literature surrounding smallpox, I recommend David Shuttleton's influential Smallpox and the Literary Imagination. Smallpox is a contagious viral infection which famously scars the face of the sufferer with pockmarks, often permanently. By the late 17th century, smallpox had ousted the plague, leprosy and syphilis as the most common cause of premature death. But, if familiarity doesn't breed contempt, at least it breeds pragmatism. Enough for a common concern to be the scarring effect on young women of marriageable age, particularly those aspiring upper-class heiresses. Smallpox discourse referring to men seemed to be far more concerned with the danger to life. But what about those undaunted suitors of the affected women, motivated perhaps by a handsome dowry or a prestigious alliance? How are they to continue courting a woman who was encouraged to remain indoors for fear that the horror induced by the mere sight of her face would trigger the disease in passers-by? What cue cards or memorable phrases could they rely upon during that first meeting in the aftermath of her illness? 18th century miscellanies provide what I argue was a practical response to this scenario with a curious subgenre of gallant smallpox poetry. These poems adopt the voice of a suitor addressing a young woman during or just after her illness, and because they are formulaic and general rather than original and individualised, I believe they could have easily served as a handy template for an aspiring husband with writer's block. I will discuss three of these poems and show how each attempts to incorporate the grim reality of smallpox into the constructed artifice of verse. First, let's consider if to a lady on her recovery from the smallpox would have assuaged your fears of social death, bearing in mind that women courtiers following their illness felt obliged to absent themselves entirely or resorted to wearing masks. Unpromisingly, the poems from a collection of epigrams dated 1735. Chloe, no more unjustly fear your numerous slaves decrease. Say, does the sun less bright appear, those spots are spread his face? Herein lies the challenge of representing smallpox in poetry. The symptoms needed to be acknowledged. Yes, especially for a suitor's purposes, these symptoms also had to be denied, or better, transformed, in order to salvage the idea of beauty. Unfortunately, the second stanza makes it clear that comparing Chloe to an acceptably spotty and male son is meant to be a temporary assuagement of social embarrassment only, which the suitor hopes will be permanently relieved with the disappearance of her scars. Yet this was unlikely, as Swift writes of a noted beauty in 1711, Biddy Floyd is, I think, very much spoiled with the smallpox. In an ironic twist, Floyd had previously been the object of praise in Swift's verses. In contrast, a new collection of miscellany poems for the year 1718 contains a poem which berates the cruel distemper of smallpox itself through personification. Entitled On a Young Lady's Having the Smallpox, 
It includes an earlier example of the sun analogy. But though thou use thy utmost spite in her complexion shroud, yet still her charms will show their light like Phoebus through a cloud. Overlooking the unfortunate choice of the verb shroud, we can see that the poet elevates his simile by the use of Phoebus as a name for the sun, an epithet from classical Latin poetry. Rather than continuing to glorify the woman, however, the focus of the poem shifts to the suitor's own plight through a list of literary formulae, the final stanza talking of no remedy. Tis she alone can cure my grief, and ease me of my misery. Finally, from a 1737 collection of miscellany poems never before published, comes To a Young Lady Ill with the Smallpox. You may have noticed the generic quality of these titles. In this poem, the woman's new unsightliness is an external token of her inner worth and virtuous femininity. Mourn not thy beauty's loss, oh, lovely maid, for charms divine as yours can never fade. The poem ends with another negotiation of that troublesome image of smallpox scars. In this case, the suitor talks of his heart, that famously blind organ. It sees you spotless, free from every stain. It sees, and by that sight augments my pain, knowing that all its towering hopes are vain. Spots here serve as a metaphor for sin. The woman's face may be pox-ridden, but her soul is without blemish. Moreover, by giving the suitor's heart agency to see the woman, his eyes don't have to. This poem, perhaps, could be acceptably included in a missive left for the lady at the door. I've intimated that these gallant smallpox odes are not entirely successful in their attempts to incorporate smallpox into a convincing romantic vision, and yet it would be hard to imagine how this could be achieved. I imagine suitors who face this predicament leafed through these miscellanies gratefully, keen to uncover a verbal prop or conceptual variation on an old theme which could assist them at an admittedly challenging time. Certainly, the frequent occurrences in miscellanies of smallpox poems like these shows there was an ongoing demand in the market for such material. We might similarly ponder the commercial success of the modern mass-produced sympathy card. Moreover, just as the rhyming couplets that structure each poem create the characteristic conversational feel of 18th century poetry, so these poems in their different miscellanies are part of a larger dialogue in 18th century society which tries to accommodate and make sense of the disruptive force of smallpox within it. Because the disease loomed large in the public imagination, and fear was often put forward as a causative factor in its spread, the act of writing was also one of controlling, literature being in a unique position to confront and rationally analyse smallpox. There is, after all, some poetic justice in the fact that variolation was introduced to Britain by Lady Mary Wortley Montague, whose famous poem Saturday, the smallpox, from her six town eclogues, was informed by her own experience of the disease. For a wonderfully rich counterpoint to the gallant smallpox poems I've been discussing, look no further. Thank you for listening, and tune in next time for Petticoats, as promised. <laughs>